Okay, that was good enough for me. Let's give it up for Jesus, our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. Come on. Somebody celebrate the King. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Hi. I love you. It's so good to see you. I love you guys so much. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I got introduced to the C3 fam. Uh, on a trip to Europe about two years ago, and you all have been stuck with me ever since. So I'm just basically on a C3 tour uh, to go to like all 592 churches that you all have and counting to just hug on you and love on you and to be able to share and declare the gospel message. I'm so excited that it is Resurrection Sunday and that we get to be here as a family to celebrate this gospel narrative. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 24. I want to read you uh, uh, seven verses in the book of Luke, uh, and then I want to jump over to Romans, chapter number 8, verse number 11, read you one verse there, uh, and then we're just going to jump right into uh, uh, this, this scripture. Spoiler alert, he gets up. <laughs> just want y'all to know that. I just, <laughs> so sorry to disappoint you. But he gets up. Um, uh, uh, but I want, I want you to see this uh, because uh, no matter how many times we declare this, there is still transformative power every time we hear it. Uh, and, and so um, I just want to read this portion. And then again, Romans chapter number 8, verse number 11, which is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Then we'll pray and see what the Holy Spirit would say. Here's what it says, starting at the first verse in Luke chapter number 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, hmm, because that's what you do when you're puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, because <gasps> that's what you do when you're terrified, and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Oh, it's so good. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 11 says this simply. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Uh, uh, for the next few moments, I just want to preach from this simple subject. Everybody can get up. I can stop right there. Everybody can get up. Bow your heads. Let's pray over the word, shall we? Holy Spirit, help us to get up. Amen. You guys, all the intercessors have, they don't know what to do with that prayer right now. They're like, that is simply not long enough at all. 
you're the one that wants me to pray over dinner because we'll eat it while it's hot. I, I, I want you to imagine a, a narrative that has taken so many years to unfold that it builds up so much anticipation for its climatic ending that it's almost uh, too incomprehensible uh, to try to maintain. Actually, you don't have to imagine that. You've been going through it for the last 11 years. Since 2008, when Iron Man came out, there has been an unfolding. There has been one fold after another, one revelation after another, that brings us to a crescendo that we now have this particular weekend. I would just like some people that have already seen the movie to indulge those that have not by not giving it away because we have been consecrated while you have been a heathen. <laughs> I'm just playing. But I want you to imagine that for the last 11 years and going on this weekend, the 22nd movie, there is a story that's been unfolding. There has been a story that's been transpiring through Iron Man, through Incredible Hulk, through Captain America, through Doctor Strange, through Spider-Man, through all of these people, through Thor. Your homegrown Thor. Through all of these different people and all of these different situations and all of these different circumstances, it has all unfolded to one big crescendo, and that is what happens to the enemy. How will they take the enemy out? Thanos is on our nerves. He must be stopped. His stupid glove. His infinity rings. His ridiculous snap. I want Especially Wakanda. We have all been, it has been a billion dollar soap opera that we've, know what happens in the end. This has been Hollywood's feeble attempt to give you just a glimpse and an insight into the unfolding of the gospel narrative. For you see, ladies and gentlemen, the gospel narrative does not start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the first chapters. It actually starts in Genesis chapter number three. With the fall of Adam and Eve, the heartbreak of disobedience, and sin entering mankind, there is a promise made. There is an avenging promise made. There is an absolute messianic guarantee made. And God does not wait till you get into several chapters or books of the Bible. In the third chapter, the 15th verse, he makes a statement that sets all of human history onto a crescendo course with what God wants to do. Switch. <laughs> what God wants to do is switch out. He wants to switch out something that is not working for something that is working. 
He wants to switch out something that is hard to hear for something that is clear-minded and gives you clarity to hear. He says, I'm going to switch out. And even though the first man, Adam, fell, I'm going to give you this promise that the seed of the woman shall bruise the heel of the serpent and he shall bruise his head. It's the first messianic prophecy with promise. It's in Genesis 3 and 15. The avenging is on. It must be Cain. Cain's the first one out. Is it Cain? No. Is it Abel? No. Cain kills Abel. Violent. They have Seth. Is it Seth? No. Is it Enoch? He walked with God and then he was not. No. Is it, uh, is it Noah? No. But he can build us a boat. Is it Abraham? No. Is it Isaac? No. Is it Jacob? No. It has to be one of Jacob's 12 sons. He has a lot of sons. Maybe it's one of those sons. Is it, is it Reuben? No. Simeon? No. Levi? No. Judah? No. Is it Ben-Hamin? No. How many of these episodes are there? How long do we have to wait? But that's, still, that's still just Genesis. All the names I've mentioned, we haven't even got out of the first book. You would think with 50 chapters, there has to be. Come on. Then we get to Exodus. It's got to be Moses. No. One of the children of Israel, is it Joshua? No, although his name sounds like that guy that's coming. Joshua, Yeshua, same name, just a, a, a type in shadow, a, a, a commercial glimpse, a theatrical trailer of who would be to come. Joshua, the man that takes the physical Israel into their place of rest, is a precursor to Jesus who would take a spiritual Israel into a place of rest. It looks like him, but it's, it's not actually him. So we wait. We wait through the judges. Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. We go through the sorrow of Job. We go through the, 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 the intricacies of Esther saving her people and Ruth having a covenant with Boaz. We, we find the covenant reemerging in David. The disappointment in Solomon, but the bloodline remaining intact with Nathan going all the way through the Old Testament. The eagle-eyed prophet spies out who he shall be. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we shall be healed. He's talking about this Jesus who is coming. Isaiah seems him afar off. He's able to describe him in these, in these very, very intricate ways, but, but it's still not even close to him coming. 
We have major prophets that speak about him, minor prophets that speak about him. And then all of a sudden, after 4,000 years of human history, he's finally here. The Avenger is here. We've waited 4,000 years for you, sir. Get to work. Kill Thanos, I mean Satan, now. Put him under your feet, crush his head, do whatever you need to do. Where is he? He's here, right? He's here. Where is he on a horse? No. Does he have a sword? No. Is he anywhere near a horse? Actually, yeah. He is? Where is he? Well, Here's the thing, he's, he, he's a little baby, and he's in a manger, and there's some horses around, but he ain't on one. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. We waited 4,000 years for this guy, and he came as a baby, which means we now have to wait for him to grow up. I mean, talk about drawing out the suspense as if we needed it. And he does, he grows up in almost obscurity. After this incredible birth and these people that come to see him, there's only one more time that we know about him in his young age, and that's when he was 12 years old, doing a Q&A with those in the temple. We don't see him again until his cousin John sees him in the distance and says, that's the guy. This is the guy I've been talking about. This is the guy that's going to take away the sins of the world. It was so anticlimactic because he didn't come like we would come. He doesn't come in a shiny suit flying through the air. doesn't come with a hammer in his hand. doesn't turn green when you provoke him. He, he comes as this lowly servant, unattractive, Isaiah says. So, so, so unattractive that if you, he was walking down the street, nobody would turn around and look at him. He comes and he's baptized by his cousin John, and, and a voice from heaven says that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove would. He starts his earthly ministry, and his, his earthly ministry, oh, goodness, it's, about to, it's going to be amazing. Revival's about to hit the land. What's the first thing you're going to do, Jesus? I'm going to a wedding. Yeah, I like weddings. I just go to a wedding. Goes to a wedding, turns water into wine. He starts having dinner with people that we would not have dinner with. Hanging out with some people that we probably would not hang out with. Does some incredible teachings, does some phenomenal miracles. But in the three and a half years of his earthly ministry, he's constantly reminding his disciples, a, a, a ragtag assortment of people, not the type of people that we would choose to go with us if we wanted to literally turn the whole world upside down. We would probably would have chosen those that had doctorate degrees or at least a master's in theology. He's going to get some random assortment of fishermen, tax collectors, 
unscrupulous doubters that have nothing else to do but say, we'll see. He gathers all these people together and, and keeps reminding them over three and a half years that I'm going to have to die. It's going to be pretty painful. It's going to be a crushing. It happens. But this is the fulfillment of 4,000 years of prophecy. And on the other side of that, watch out. On the other side of what I do, there is going to be glory. There's going to be glory revealed. Come to the conference. There's literally going to be some things that you thought were dead forever. Some dreams that you thought were dashed forever. Some, some, some ideas that you thought would never come to light. When you see what happens, it will literally transform everything you thought about the life you live. Ladies and gentlemen, he dies the most painful, excruciating death that has ever been suffered in human history. He was beaten unrecognizable. Beyond recognition, the only way they were able to identify him was by the marker that was placed above his cross. King of the Jews. He was beaten so badly. Blood covered his body in such massive amounts that if God were to peek over the balcony of heaven and squint his eyes, he wouldn't know if it was Jesus or you. Can you imagine a substitutionary death so profound that God doesn't even know if it's his son or you. I guess I better forgive them all because I can't tell if that's him or Sharon. It's so hard to tell. Is that, is that him or Tony? I can't really tell. He, he suffers. For the sins of every person in this room, he dies. For the sins of everyone driving past this building, he dies. For the sins of everyone at the beach right now, he dies. He dies for everyone that is at brunch right now. He dies. So filled with love was he that he would die and get on a cross for a maybe. Not a guarantee that you would give your life to him, but, but a maybe, a perhaps, by chance. If they would hear the story and find out how much I truly love them, that maybe, just maybe, they would open up their heart and believe that I'm real. That the historical Jesus is the same Jesus that's found in the scriptures. And as outlandish as the narrative may be, it is the truth. The 
truth is not a doctrine. The truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Upon that cross, he takes his last breath, dies for the sins of the world. The blood has been shed, and the atonement is secure. Centurion soldiers don't have to come up and break his legs to expedite his death process because he gave up the ghost. No man can take his life. He laid it down. And after he laid it down, they laid him down. Joseph of Arimathea, who did not agree with the ruling of Caiaphas and Ananias, Asked Pontius Pilate for his body and puts it in a tomb that he paid for himself. And for three days, his body would lie there. And after three days, something spectacular happened, which makes this particular weekend so significant. Because in him dying, he, he gave us the freedom that we needed to be broken from the sinful consequences of death. But after three days, the Holy Spirit goes into the tomb and gets a dead man up. I want you to imagine three days in a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it, no air coming in or out, no breath going in and out of the lungs of a body. And after three days, <gasps> he gets up. And not only does he get up, he gets up. Like, he doesn't just get up and go away. He gets up and walks around. He gets around and for like 50 days shows himself to people. How you doing? You doing okay? You doing okay? Ha ha! I thought I was dead. Ha ha! No. Proves himself to his disciples. One disciple has to get really close investigation. He sticks his whole finger in his wrist. Puts his whole hand in his side. And he's absolutely convinced that this is the Savior. Here's the thing that's amazing to me is that he got up. And though we say this on Resurrection Sunday, sometimes we, we, we compartmentalize it to, to, to only think in a, in a very narrow way, well, he got up. Yay, him. But I can't get up. My situation's an impossibility. I love the gospel narrative. I, I, I love the fact that Jesus gets up. Let me tell you what I love more. That the same spirit that got him up could get us up. See, when I read Romans chapter number 8, verse number 11, I have a party inside of my own head. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of me. Now, I don't have time to go through everybody's testimonies that's in this room, but suffice it to say that if he could get Jesus up, he can get you out of a generational curse. If he could get Jesus up, he can get you out of addiction. If he could get Jesus up, he could get you out of sexual trauma. If he could get Jesus up, he could get you out of alcoholism. If he could get Jesus up, he could get you out of anger, bitterness, low self-esteem. Because if he gets up, everybody gets 
and get up. No matter what situation you're in, no matter how hard you've been in it, you can get up. You can get up. I didn't even tell you to get up and you got up. Which is just spontaneous believer combustion. We can get up. That's the power of the resurrection message. Is that we can get up. I was sexually abused by a neighbor that lived across the street from me when I was eight years old. It was a, it was a moment in my life that was, that was planned to corrupt my destiny. But then I found that verse. I used to be a pornography addict. And then I found that verse. I had low self-esteem. And then I found that verse. And here's the thing with me, I'm a literalist. Whatever people say to me figuratively, I translate it literally. And then I have to go through a very painful process to make it come back out figuratively because I just heard what you said and believed it. So when somebody says, I'm going to run to the store, I'm like, why not drive? <laughs> the car's right there. The store's very far. You know what I meant. I'm like, I'm so sorry, my brain. But I read that verse. And I took it literally. Same spirit. That raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of me. If, and it said that he will give life to your mortal body, so he's not talking about the afterlife. And I read that verse and I just thought to myself, well, he, if he could get a dead body up, he could probably get me out of porn addiction. I just, it just seemed like. It just really seemed like one plus one equal two. That if he could get a dead body up, then I, I probably can forgive somebody that hurt me. If he could get a dead body up, th then I can probably live a life in freedom from anger, bitterness, strife, lust, low self-esteem. I just believed the first. And if he got up, we all can get up. We just can.